second uh, i'm aiming that within the next 34 five minutes we are done yeah yeah 100 boom boom how's going how's going welcome aboard it is i tj taurai jack and welcome to m5 successful friends representing m5 property addicts m5 property varsity and hey it is one of those days where i am hosting yet another friend of m5 successful friend meaning that they are a successful friend and i have known this guy here for what maybe about close to four years now and um he's the money guy the money guy and uh in here we're going to be talking about everything about him and uh, allow me to introduce you none other than christian jansen christian how's it going great thanks in utah Rai. thank you so much for having me on this podcast today nice man nice Christian, I started knowing you back in the days, um, and I call you the money guy because uh, you are that guy that from time to time when I've always needed money, I come to you and you make it happen, which is your everyday life, right? Um, and that's a profession for you, and that's the world that we've known each other, but we have had many other interactions outside of that. Um, and. And I should say life has been good having you around. Um, but who is Christian? Yeah, well, me in a nutshell, uh, I was born and raised in Pretoria and spent my whole life here. I'm not going to mention what high school I went to uh, because <laughs> I constantly get joked about it when they say that's the first thing that people from that school say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been in Pretoria my whole life, uh, studied accounting, uh, didn't feel the calling and I actually ended up quitting my studies in my third year uh, with a little bit of family circumstances, parents going broke. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I took a three month sabbatical where I went down to Hartenbos, uh, went to go and live with one of my best friends from primary school. They moved there shortly after we matriculated and worked as a bartender in the yacht club at Muscle Bay. Gave me a lot of peace and calm, yeah. <laughs> and, I didn't know that about uh, you. You have been a bartender before. Yeah, I, I started waitering when I was a matric for pocket money, and it also helped me overcome a lot of my insecurities because I, I was very shy. I mean, if you compare how comfortable it is to speak in front of a crowd now to uh, how I was in school, I was one of the most introverted people you could find. So. There was quite a lot to overcome. I mean, if I think back, the first ever table that I served as waiter, so I started off as a runner and then they promoted me to become a waiter and proper yeah. tips. And the first ever table that I served, I think I maybe said five sentences to them. They placed their orders, everything. I was just like, I don't know what to do here. And I ended up getting a tip. And I, thought, I didn't die. Yeah, yeah. What is the difference between a runner and a waiter? Well, um, the runners do all the crap work. We were literally just clearing our tables, setting new tables, and relying on the waiters to tip us at the end of each night. So right, right. basically making their lives easier and getting paid in the process, but completely discretionary. So it was also yeah. a valuable lesson to me in terms of how to approach business and things for, uh, going forward, take yeah. control. So you, you speak of that industry. So that's where I started off as well. Um, so my first, first job, no qualifications at all. 
you're speaking of the runner, so that's the frontline office, right? So the back-end office, which is the porter, so you've got the porter, the guys in the kitchen. Uh, back in those yeah. days, they used to call them a porter. So the guy who, when everyone else is finished eating um, and the plates go back at the, in the kitchen, I was the guy who used to scrap all the, uh, the, the plates. They were, well, in that place where I used to work in, they didn't have a micro, um, a washing machine. So I was the guy who used to wash the dishes. So I'd scrape off the plates, put them aside, and then I'll wash them. And the guys who are in the kitchen, they are screaming for more plates and you are struggling. Um, so humble beginnings, eh? It teaches you nice things. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember that part of it quite well. So um, my side stopped at scraping out the plates, but um, it was still with one of those massive taps that you have to rinse yes, it off and yes, then wash. Yes, yes. Nice, nice. Okay, good. And high pressure in a weird way. <laughs> Correct, yeah. Um, so, so, Christian, you, you studied accounting, but yeah. I know you as a property investor. I know you as you play heavily as well within the transactions of properties, uh, which we are going to come back to a little bit. Um, and uh, I know that you're a happily married guy. Um, I see you from time to time with your missus. Um, but you're a little bit crazier than I am in other areas as well. I mean, uh, the last time we were talking about this particular topic and you're telling me that you want to do your next run of um, cycling uh, between a couple of towns and from one end to the next. Um, that's about a thousand kilometers, isn't it? Well, uh, in 2017, we cycled from Pretoria to Cape Town. Uh, we were hoping to do it again this year, but unfortunately with the lockdown, uh, that plan was put aside. So hopefully yeah. again next year. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, that was quite an amazing journey and it's, it opened up my mind. It's just started simplifying everything around me. So just walk me through that process, right? Because I mean, for, for us to be cycling, I mean, I asked you so many questions the day that we were talking about that and I was like, and I'm sure you went home and like, I think TJ is the dumbest guy now. And I was asking, no, no. Did, you, did you go, are you, are you traveling? How, do you have backup? Do you, how does it work? You know, just walk us through that whole uh, journey that you took in from Pretoria to Cape Town. How long did it take you from a preparation perspective? Yeah. So um, from way back when at the start, uh, it happened with and also a friend of mine that you've also interacted with, Jock, uh, to yeah. us did the ride together. Uh, we uh, went and watched the Banff Mountain Film Festival as we do every year. And at the end of the evening, he told me he wants to get a mountain bike. So I said, yeah, 100%, let's, let's find you a good deal. And with me knowing quite a couple of other cyclists and being an admin on one of the community groups here in Pretoria, I started reaching out to some of the shop owners and then uh, got him a good deal. And in celebrating that uh, bicycle, we had a couple of beers. We were just talking about adventuring. Yeah. And both of us read an article by Kevin Davies, a journalist for Mail and Guardian. Uh, where he cycled the Session Saldana line to get from Joburg to Cape Town. And okay. we started talking about it and the beers were flowing and then eventually just got to a point of, bugger this, let's cycle to Cape Town. And that was October 2016. Yeah. And he uh, then said, well, let's do it. And I agreed. So we had to start planning. 
yeah. to start putting things together and it just became more and more of a, a dream initially yeah and by march the next year after having also met with people who have done similar trips before uh, we decided well game on let's do it and uh, quite haphazardly at that point we started looking at fundraising because a lot of people asked what's your cause and we said because we can so we ended up finding a daycare center in Soshongube for whom we raised close to 50,000 Rand. Yeah. But the whole process of preparation was literally just riding on the bike, spending time on it, uh, getting the legs fit. So uh, both of us just pushed to get ourselves comfortable with cycling 100 kilometers uh, at least two days in succession. And that was the extent of the, the preparation. And quite frankly, I don't think you can properly prepare yourself especially if you have no idea what you're letting yourself in for and then on the 21st of may uh, 2017 we settled from soshangube and uh, i still remember that morning morning how my heart was just racing just thinking what on earth are you doing to yourself you chop where are you going <laughs> and we rode the first day that was 112 case to Mahalisburg. Legs were slightly fatigued, uh, and we had a couple of beers that evening, debriefed. Uh, we have a Facebook page that has all the videos of everything we did uh, called yeah. The Fellowship of the Wheel. So we're both uh, avid fantasy readers. I mean, uh, we're talking about The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings. So <laughs> the connection yeah. was made to The Fellowship of the Wheel. Yeah. And the next morning, quite uncomfortable, got on the bike, rinsed and repeated. And in the end, we cycled over a course of 15 days, we got to Cape Town. So it's, it was so unreal. I mean, I, what I'll never forget is the middle part where there's nothing around, especially through the Karoo, it's flat. And started hitting some mountain passes when we got onto Route 62 from Otwering side. And that changed the... The intensity a little bit but the legs were already fit i mean i lost quite a lot of weight in the course of that uh, trip yeah uh, but what i'll never forget is uh, the last morning i left from valdivie just outside paul and just before klopmans was the first time that i could see table mountain and i still remember just uh, popping a short video onto the facebook group saying i can see table mountain this is actually happening now but yeah. still fairly blasé about it and yeah. then when I got to Bloberg uh, side and got onto Beach Road and I saw and I'm less than 20 k's away and I could see the mountain uh, that big in front of me I just started bawling and I cried like I've never cried before in my life I mean even just recalling it now I start feeling uh, that emotion pop back up again and to have finished there and to have got into the VNA waterfront was absolutely breathtaking Wow, wow. Um, for me, it's always amazing uh, for people that take the leap of faith and decide on doing something that they've never done before. And, and they prepare themselves and dive in. That's what you did. Um, and well done on that, you know. If you had to take a look at that journey, Christian, um, versus what you discovered along the way about yourself, about our beloved South Africa, the scenery, and 
all of those things that you saw. I'm sure they, we can literally like write a book about everything else that happened within there. What, 15, 15 days of, of, of self. Um, yeah. But obviously you, you, you were riding with a friend. Uh, if we're to look at all of that, what, what is the one thing that you can say, hey, I'm going to do it again for this particular reason? Uh, the most important reason to do it again, and that's why I would urge and invite anybody to take up whichever challenge it is, even if yeah. it's uh, if you're a walker or a runner and your limit is doing a 5K, try and challenge yourself to for a whole week do consecutive 10-kilometer runs. Your body will not love it initially, but yeah. your mind starts protecting you. And we got to a point where we had absolutely no control over our thoughts. Every single morning as we set off, both of us just said, I wonder what I'm going to think about today. And your mind just goes because it's sheer simplicity. We had no backup vehicle. It was just the two of us on bicycles and all of our luggage, everything with us on the bikes. So you've got everything you need and it is so little. And out of that, uh, it just completely changed my mindset. I became even more of a minimalist and even more prone to decluttering at, at home. And I've, I just started focusing on how to simplify everything in my life. And it got to a point of if I've not touched anything in the house within the space of six months, I want to get rid of it. I want less stuff around me and I just want to to be, to live, to experience. So I've decluttered a lot of things uh, around the house, but over and above that also, I've decluttered a lot of things out of my mind because I just started focusing more and more on what I can simplify. And uh, it's actually quite interesting because uh, one of my absolute favorite books about that is a book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. It was written by Greg McCone. Right. And I read that book before the trip, but a lot of that started kicking in and really resonating during that time where I just started eliminating noise out of my life. And that is one of the main things that I'm yearning for. And that's why I'm so uh, sad about the fact that I was unable to do the ride uh, this year. But just looking at the whole picture of it, I've I'm yearning for that six hours quiet time a day where you're just lost in your own thoughts because your mind starts wondering and you've got such strange memories popping up. I mean, I was walking through my grandparents' house in my mind's eye, seeing detail of literally uh, where they had, what type of ornaments. Uh, I was comparing my father and my stepfather's parenting techniques. It's never been a hang up, but just finding time to really sit and process and understand their motivation in terms of uh, word choice, in terms of discipline, in terms of approach. And yeah. we don't give yeah. ourselves enough time to think about that. Yeah, I mean, because we are busy chasing either the job or we're busy chasing some money somewhere. Um, but I mean, well done on that. Um, I, I, I almost want to bring it to, to our usual topic, which is property. You, you are a property investor, you're also a coach, yeah. um, and uh, from time to time, um, your, your, your profession is getting involved in transactions. Um, but for you to get like 15 days solid and just go and do 
weird stuff like this. <laughs> it's weird to me because I haven't just come around to do like a bicycle ride for two kilometers. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I know you have sent so many invitations like, TJ, let's do this. Um, there is a bike. And I'm like, I'm going to do it one day. One day when I grow up, I'll do it. But the question here, um, Christian, is how, how actually do you find this time, you know, 15 days? And you leave all of your work and you square do it. You, you know, like um, for some of us, we like these 15 days, we need to be working. <clears throat> but what I've realized for me is that my property at that time, they are working for me. So now I can start doing weird stuff that you're doing. But I mean, for you, how does that work? It's exactly that. I mean, if you look at a comfortable property portfolio, you've got your uh, tenant management in place and all of yeah. that is working there, then you don't have to put as much time into maintaining your portfolio. So one is able to time it around it and look at what you really want. And that's, that's one of the key things for me. And especially after that trip, I just became more and more strict on boundaries. So I will very seldomly take a phone call after five. I will very seldomly start engaging before eight o'clock in the mornings as well. I've, I've got that limit. So I'll, I'll maybe sit and run through emails uh, during the night as I'm awake yeah. or um, bored or uh, whatever for that matter. Yeah. But I will time the delivery time on that email to only deliver the next morning at eight o'clock. And I just started setting those boundaries for myself first and foremost. But over and above that, from a management point of view, you at some point have to start handing it over to other people, even though certain things won't work exactly like you would do it yourself. Right. Uh, there's, there's that balance. I mean, we all want to have absolute control, but uh, it, it can kill you because you really you start losing track with everything around you. You, you, you speak, um, you indicate to us that, you know, uh, you, you've now built this property portfolio that you've got. Um, and maybe later on you can share in terms of numbers, how much you've got now, how much you've built and how long you've been at it. But I almost want to come back to the start, you know, to say, how did you actually start in property? Uh, because for many of us, um, I'll speak for myself, it wasn't even in my peripheral, you know, but... I had a grandfather, um, one of my cousin's um, grandfather. He, he actually owned a precinct of sort. But because my grandfather, we never used to speak about this, it was foreign for me. And when I started working, yes, I knew that I wanted to buy properties, but I only knew ways to do it, which was via the bank or to buy cash. I, I just didn't know much. Um, until I got educated and then I realized, oh, there's actually a little bit more that you can do. And that was my awareness. And for you, Christian, how did, how did you start? Yeah, it's also quite a lot of stumbling initially. And yep. uh, I still find it so ironic. I mean, my stepfather owned a perm branch. He was an estate agent in Pretoria for years right. and moved into commercial broking. And I still recall like, with one of the sales that he did, I, um, it was a liquor store in Amon Scroll, three shops. And I had to go through the one night to go and help with stock take. And I never asked questions around it, which was quite odd because I grew up in a household where you do not discuss finances. And uh, me, especially as a child, I'm not allowed to even know what's going on in their finances. 
uh, that to me is a valuable lesson for the future. My, my kids one day when I'm hopefully blessed to have kids will definitely be more involved because uh, it causes quite a, a disadvantage long term. Yeah. But I, um, from returning from my uh, sabbatical, I started looking for work and then realized how sheltered I was brought up because I really struggled to find a job. And the only decision that I made for myself was I'm not going to go into accounting. I made the decision I'm not going to pursue that as a career. And I was placed uh, at APSA Home Loans in their processing department. And then from there, started dealing with um, home finance transactions, seeing the other side of it. Uh, I'm quite uh, skilled when it comes to mathematics. Uh, My my acuity is quite strong there, so I could very easily assess transactions, work through all of that. But also got into a point of things started just falling into a rut. I didn't do much. And you see all these people purchasing properties, a lot of transactions being run, because at that stage, uh, 2005 to 2007, APSA had a huge market share just before the acquisition of Barclays, uh, or by Barclays rather. And I started recognizing some of the names coming over my table. It was actually quite cool. I ended up meeting one of these guys uh, about two years later, uh, where I looked at his portfolio and he uh, was earning about a hundred thousand rand a month, but buying flats in Sunnyside for between 60 and 80,000 rand. And initially I thought, okay, he's maybe speculating because I started seeing his file and his name coming over my desk uh, like once to twice a month. And then eventually I started drawing inquiries further, just having a look at what he's doing. And I realized that every single property was bought and kept. All of those bonded with APSA, it totaled 67 properties that he bought in the space of two years. And uh, that was before the National Credit Act, so granted, a little bit easier. And uh, I started asking questions about it. So I went to the head of credits and we had a long chat about it. And that's where I realized, especially when you look at your core banking environment, it's if they qualify, give them the finance. That's that. Don't ask further questions. And... Luckily for me, I've always been quite inquisitive. So I started digging around. I wanted to find out what was going on. Wasn't allowed to phone the guy because that, that was my first thought. I, I'm just going to phone this. But yeah. we weren't allowed, so <laughs> couldn't do that. And then a friend of mine invited me along to an info session uh, from the group Trioc. Right. And uh, wow. they started gaining more prominence at that point in time as a property investment group, uh, yeah, selling one-day workshops. And uh, during the, the information evening, one of the investor club owners was struggling with a banking problem. And I chatted to him and then uh, I said, well, let me have a look if I can sort it out for you. And the next morning I phoned him just after eight, said that his money will be available in his, in his account by 10. Five past 10, I got a phone call from Trioc Finance for a job interview. <laughs> so... That was quite an interesting shift and I was quite cautious and wary about uh, the security that the bank can bring, but I went for the interview and uh, I I took the job. And funnily enough, they they actually just matched my salary of what what APSA was paying me at that stage, but I could see greater potential because these guys were looking forward. They wanted to do things. And 
started working with property investors. So I, I started getting more insights into what their strategies entail, how they approach uh, property transactions. And that was completely foreign to me at that stage because I was just transactionally driven. And then from there, uh, I eventually got to a point where I started feeling, okay, I need to start buying properties. I can see right. so many people around me buy, why am I not buying? And yeah. I started assessing deals, looking at it, but I was petrified of making a mistake. And it actually led to a point of me by looking at four, five, six deals, not a single one coming through because I, I took too long. And it was just analysis paralysis. Yeah. And a, a good friend of mine that I've known since university eventually came through uh, to me and she sent me an offer to purchase for uh, my first flat that I bought. So property in Grand Central Apartments in Madrid. And she just said, we need to act on this quite quickly. You, you have a couple of hours. And I said, no, but wait, wait, wait. That's, that's way too quick. I, I can't just uh, make a decision outright. And yeah. she asked me, do you trust me? I said, yes. So she said, okay, well, then sign the offer to purchase. Well, I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm still a bit scared. And eventually she threatened me saying she's going to come to my house with a baseball bat. I need to sign the effing thing for her words. Okay. And it was literally just a case of, okay, fine, let's go for it. And that's how I bought my first property. And oh, don't we all need to have like friends like these ones? Yeah, I'm forever grateful. Uh, it was such a strange because even at that point then having facilitated so many bond transactions now um, submitting my own application for finance I was scared it's like okay are they gonna say yes yes no maybe and NetBank still gave me that bond incidentally one of my least favorite banks at, the, at this point in time in terms of how um, their financing works yeah. uh, but uh, mm -hmm. the bond's still running at prime minus 1.75 and I still got that on a 30-year bond so the property broke even within seven months so wonderful deal and then i just started feeling okay now listen i need more <laughs> i want more but you that, know what, you, you, you touch on something that um that we hardly speak about um and that two things actually the i call it circumcising the mosquito you know we, we and, and the the over paralysis analyzing it uh, that's the first one and then the second one for me is you are immense in the deals, but you're not doing a deal for yourself. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that I see a lot of people doing. Um, that I've even had conversations with senior people at the bank and asked the question, uh, you are head of home loans. What do you have? And they're like, I'm trying to build, right? Or you're head of credit. And they're telling you, I've never thought of it this way. I'm trying to build. And they're earning 100,000 or whatever the amount is. They qualify for good money. They actually yeah. know all the systems to get them to build the portfolio that they want. But like I had a conversation with the head of compliance the other day. The person who puts the rules for the credits to be happening. And they've got zero assets into their name. Yeah. And yet they are putting in the rules all the time in the banking systems for other for people like me and you to work around to find <laughs> uh, the good deals. That that 
that is, yeah. What was one of your stumbling blocks um, um, over and above, you know, their paralysis here? Because this, this is, fear for me is what I hear is, what was one of your stumbling blocks in, in, in just getting by? Um, is there something else that you want to throw in there? No, the, the, the biggest element to it was fear. Uh, yeah. It was just so many unknowns, especially at that point, I hadn't really interacted with tenant management. Uh, so uh, all, all of the, the red lights, and I mean, especially if you start listening to so many of the economists who are anti-property, uh, yeah. just seeing, yeah, but what if a tenant defaults? What if this, what if that, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And uh, that, that helped me back to quite a great extent. And, okay. But, but I, I started getting myself educated. I started spending time with rental agents. I started understanding the process and the systems. And uh, that led to me be um, serving on uh, the committee of a, a large property investment group. Uh, they're running most of my properties rentals still. And yeah. out of that, I just started uh, asking more and more and more questions. And it's, it gave me the confidence to know that, listen, yeah, Things can go wrong. Inevitably, things will go wrong. Uh, I believe we are all destined to at least have one tenant from hell. It's, it has to happen. It's, yeah. If it doesn't happen, then you're not uh, playing uh, big enough. Yeah. And even yeah. worse, if you are playing small and it happens, it can sink you. It can really hurt. So, uh, and that to me was a massive mind shift, getting to that point of Rather buying more properties, getting to a, a larger portfolio to be able to weather the storm if something right. happens. You you started off back it's what almost 10, 15 years ago. Um, I bought my first property in two thousand and eight. Right, right. Um, and at this stage, how big of a portfolio are you now? And with that, I just want to solidify your thinking of it's better to have more properties um, versus having a few, you know? So, so maybe walk us through that thinking there. Yeah, so in terms of the thinking, if you've got one property and it's standing vacant, you're standing with 100% vacancy. As right. opposed to one property out of 20, you'll have a 5% vacancy. Right. Similarly so, if you spread your risk, uh, instead of buying 1 million rand property, rather buying two 500,000 rand properties, you, you start watering down your effective risk because the, the chances of everything standing vacant at once is almost zero. So, so that's the one side of it. Um, I've had to dispose of a couple of uh, properties, had a bit of a bad uh, business relationship back in uh, 2010. Uh, it nearly sunk me, but uh, luckily uh, I had some properties that could help and salvage my position. Sure. So I'm back up to seven properties now, but uh, currently assessing another four deals, uh, hoping to at least buy another one within the next month. Right. Now, having said that, um, what do you primarily focus on um, in, in the when, when you are investing? Um, when Christian is saying, hey, I want... This I'm happy with. What is it that you focus on? Yeah, so at least cash flow neutral. Okay. Uh, that was also a massive. What, what do you mean by cash flow neutral? So um, let's say I get a hundred percent bond. My rental income has to cover all of the expenses, including the bond installment. So okay. in effect, my capital layout for that property should just be my acquisition costs. 
Because right. initially I was just buying uh, off-plan new developments, uh, cost included, and I was happy with carrying a shortfall. All of my initial properties were like that. And it's, it was part of the mindset. And it was actually so funny listening to another talk of a large developer a couple of nights ago where they are still repeating that same sales pitch that got me a good 13 years ago as I started at Trio. So all yeah. of our sales were new development. Yeah. And uh, it's not the best way to approach it. Yes, you've got space for some of those. With a lot of new developments, you've got great uh, future prospects in terms of capital growth and so forth, but you have to prepare yourself for a cash flow burden yeah. on each and every one yeah. of them. So at this point in time my whole focus comes down to what what are the mechanics of the deal i don't want to play in the property market of above 1.2 to 1.3 million rand uh, especially when you start looking at safeguarding yourself with um, having more than one exit strategy you want to be able to sell and for that that property has to be in a market that is still appealing to uh, even normal purchases not just investors yeah and the other side of that would come down to just making sure that uh, the deal itself has the, the requisite merits. If it's a house, can I maximize the value? Can I improve on it with a low capital layout and increase uh, my income? So, so that's typically what I'm focusing on now. And also looking at a couple of distressed properties uh, to speculate with, buy, um, fix, and resell. Okay. Cool. Um, whilst you're in that, Christian, um, you, you're speaking of another um, strategy, so to speak. Um, and, you know, there's different ways of doing it. So, for instance, for me, I'm in my happy space. You speak of the cash flow neutral. Um, and I'm of the view that if that's a personal view, and that's why I asked you, um, I'm more on the cash flow positive because. For me, it's actually a business. So I, I, I want it to be a business and I want to generate money out of that business, right? Um, and and you saying that your, your, your safer place is a cash flow neutral and you're kind of like working on the long run in terms of capital growth and things like that. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes and no. So the absolute worst case for me yeah. is cash flow neutral. I'd like okay, to right. have that property um, have a, a positive cash flow, right. but I'll base my figures on it being cash flow neutral. So anything above that would be a bonus uh, to gradually build into it. Uh, and that's also specifically where um, the, the buy, fix and flip uh, opportunities come in to subsidize and add more capital into it to, to grow the property portfolio. Right, right. Um, Christian, you, you are involved a lot your profession, uh, your day-to-day -day profession, other than being a pro property investor, is to you facilitate transactions for people. Um, well, just walk us through that. Um, what is it that you do? So my day job is a bond originator, uh, yep. where I facilitate bond applications on behalf of property purchasers to all of the different banks. So. Uh, in short, we start off with a pre-qualification. We have a look at what uh, funding you have access to, and then uh, I'll assist and also coach you into tailoring your property transactions accordingly for um, the best possible outcome. Right. But Christian, you don't work with anyone. 
you specifically work with investors. You know, that, that's, that's what I've kind of like, that's what I've kind of like seen because um, you are predominantly working with investors. And for me, the reason why I like to work with you is because you, you've got so many products behind you that we can kind of like hand pick from, right? Yeah. But I've also seen that you're not, you're not the traditional bond originator where you say, we're going to throw it in, let's pray God will come through. Um, you you kind of like treat a transaction on its own merit, the individual versus the deal itself versus the product that you're going to. I remember the first couple of uh, transactions that we started doing together, I would ask the question, so why didn't you send it to Bank X? And I, I would get frustrated because you, you're not wanting to send it there. Until I started understanding your reasoning behind what you were doing, and you would say to me, no, TJ, that bank doesn't have that product. This property here is suit for this product at this bank because this bank uh, uh, understands this type of, a, of an asset, and they are happy with that risk. So we have a 100% chance of going here rather than just sending it elsewhere. Yeah. For some reason, their network just disappeared. Oopsie. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's still recording, which is fine. Uh, so let's just pick up from where we were. Um, and we can just do the ed The guys will do the editing for us there. Okay, cool. So let's still a little bit of a lag from your side. Is it? Yeah, uh, it's getting better now. Uh, just uh, just a little bit of the lip sync was out, and okay. uh, so it started going a bit weird when you um, started asking me about uh, my work as bond originator. So okay, all right, Let, let's take it from there. So Christian, what what I've seen here is that you know I when I started working with you, I'd get frustrated quite a bit. Because you'd say, uh, I would ask you, dude, can we not send the application at bank at bank and bank X? And you come back to me and you say, no, 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 TJ, we mustn't go to bank X because uh, they don't have the right product. Um, and I'll get frustrated in the beginning because I didn't understand how the process was working. And yet in the background, you know the bank's products. So you'd look at me and my partners right in terms of qualification in terms of everything else that we've got at hand versus the property that we're buying and you'd say which is the best fit product for us to go and apply in which gives us a hundred percent success rather than just sending through an application to everywhere yeah no it's uh it just makes it a lot easier uh, because First and foremost, from a transaction point of view, uh, originators get paid on successful registration of a bond. And right. uh, I'm a little bit lazy when it comes to that approach. I don't want to flog a uh, dead horse. There's, uh, there's a lot of preparation that one can do upfront to get a higher success rate. And that's why I always push people for pre-qualification upfront so that we look and see and establish what we have to work with because uh, there might be a niggle in terms of your uh, credit bureau history or anything in, uh, for that matter yeah and if we can act proactively it makes it a lot easier and then nice. 
Nice. I just prefer working with investors over the normal residential market uh, due to the fact that it aligns with my vision. And your traditional origination model uh, has originators working with agents, trying to find deals, salvaging relationships with them. And for, from my positioning, it doesn't matter which agent you purchase through, uh, I'm relevant because I'm helping you with your, your whole preparation of your transaction. So I, I find it more rewarding. Um, I should say that working with you, a person like you, for me it's easier because <clears throat> what I've realized is that I send my company's details to you once and you have a full view of who we are and at any time when there's a deal on the table you you are bond ready i, I think that's the term that you use you you call it tj wait let's make you bond ready and at that particular time we just need to send you the deal which means that in terms of return um on our time you're like fast on the acting you know yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one of you know some of the benefits that I've seen working with, with, with you, Christian. But are there any tips, Christian, that you can just throw out to us for anyone that would like to start in property, or maybe they have four or five properties and they want to jump onto the next step into doing the big stuff? What kind of tips would you give them? Because you play in both sides of the world, yeah. Eh? You play in the finding the money, you play in the investor yourself. Um, and you are also, because you're in the transaction uh, space, you see a lot of people that do things differently. Um, what yeah. kind of tips would you throw out to us there? So, first and foremost, ensure that you are bond ready. So, yeah. start off with that. And in a lot of instances, that would involve a complete review of your property portfolio to right. see which properties are underperforming. Uh, which ones you cannot uh, afford to let go of, and then also the, the entire uh, picture around it. So you may find yourself uh, fully exposed from a uh, bond point of view in your personal name, and it may uh, mean that you would have to transfer one or two properties from your personal name to an entity to open up affordability. But start with the preparations to establish what type of bond you can expect so that. Uh, you are ready when you uh, have to pull the trigger. But similarly so, if you qualify for a million rand and you're playing in the 1.5 million rand mark, uh, market, rather, uh, you will fall stuck because you will have to put down a deposit to make up for the balance purchase price. Right. So that's the first big tip. And then secondly, don't be afraid of partnering with people. Involve people that can take you to that next level if you yourself are finding yourself stuck. And I mean, uh, TJ, that's where you are one of the best examples of it. But look at the partnerships that you deal with, the people that you, you uh, bring together. It, it makes such a big difference because you are able to capitalize on every single person's strong uh, points. And it may be that somebody has a lot of cash and no time or somebody has deals. Uh, it's, it's just about finding the right synergies. Right. You're very right. It's connecting the dots. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, I'm going to come to the last section uh, of our podcast. And this is where we kind of like just ask you a random question. And in a bit of a second, you need to answer. And I cannot ask you of the first question because we already know that you're a cyclist and you're not allowed to answer that question with that answer. <laughs> what do you do for fun? 
Oh, obviously <laughs> cycling. But apart from that, uh, I love socializing with my friends and it's always good fun to um, just philosophize over a bottle of red wine, have a long chat, in-depth discussion. So I'm not yeah. fond of small talk at all. And apart from that, anything outside in nature. So I'm, I'm quite fond of rock climbing as well. Uh, yeah. Nice way to also get out and rely on your own strength and your own focus. Because uh, interestingly enough with rock climbing, a lot of men tire much faster than women do because we try to power through everything. Right. We start acting more calculated, uh, relying on your leg strength and core and so forth. You, you're able to navigate up a rock face where I've, I found myself literally getting lost on a rock face. where you, You're hanging on and you're like, I don't know where to go. And then it's something <laughs> stupid like your, your one foot just needs to be this much higher than you can reach the next hole. Wow. So it's, that's a lot of fun for me. Any favorite books, business books that you've got? So in terms of, well, it's business and life. First and okay. foremost, I'd suggest Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuits of Less. All right. And uh, all of us, uh, the first mind shift came from the, uh, the Robert Kiyosaki books. So Rich yeah. Chapwood and the Cashflow Quadrant are must-reads. And then on the more uh, philosophical side and just in terms of own awareness, and now I can't remember the author's name. I think it's Maxwell Maltz, uh, but the book is called Psycho-Cybernetics. It was written in uh, the 1950s. Uh, he was yeah. a plastic surgeon who started paying attention to how people's personalities and worldviews changed when he did reconstructive or constructive uh, surgery. And the premise of that also saying that your worldview is directly influenced by how you see yourself. And... That's where wow. one of my favorite sayings comes out of, out of, and that is, life's a mirror. What you project, you get back. Come on, come on. Yeah, you spot on there. The last one is that, what does success look like to you, um, Christian? Success to me is freedom. Freedom of choice, freedom of, move, of movement. If you do not have to worry about a paycheck, you are yeah. successful. Uh, your reliance on the paycheck can be there by all means all of us will almost always still have that but yeah. if you're in a position where it won't matter that much if it yeah. falls away then you're successful and that's on varying levels i mean whether you earn 10 grand a month or 150,000 rand a month yeah it's all up to how you see it yourself and uh, that's where one of my biggest points of advice always is Focus on building assets, don't get liabilities, and get yourself to a point where you don't have contractual obligations tying you down and infringing on your freedom. Don't work for money, work for assets. Boom. Exactly. Yeah, you had it right, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's been great. Uh, I've told you before, we only bring successful friends, and uh, this was Christian Janssen. And uh, you have had it. I, I like Christian for the fact that you're strong in the head, buddy. Um, and not just uh, you're strong in the head, you're also strong in physical. You know, so you like to keep your head straight. You like to keep your, your physics uh, straight. Um, and those are some of the things that I've taken off your page. Um, uh, I'll get there in some of the weird things that you do. Cycling. I'm going to keep on asking. <laughs> But it's been great having you around, Christian. Thanks a lot for joining us. 
ladies and gentlemen, that's it from me. And um, until we meet again, boom, you're headed right. And um, whatever comments that you want to throw in, do send those comments. Um, if it is around what Christian does, if it is around cycling, I am not going to answer. Christian will, hopefully. Uh, but over and, uh, and out for me, it's been great having you, Christian. And um, let's see you again on the next podcast. God bless and goodbye. Thanks, all right. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, man.